Hello, and welcome to the Antifragile Tarot Podcast. This is your resident card slinger, Susanna, recording this podcast for another Witchy Wednesday. And this is a podcast, or a podcast series, I should say, that I've been avoiding doing ever since I started this podcast. This series is going to be an overview of the tarot cards themselves. Um, I have been sort of considering putting together a course for people to learn. I took the uh, Little Red Tarot Alternative Tarot course a few years ago, and that course totally changed how I read tarot. It was a huge breakthrough for me, and I don't think I would have become a professional reader without it. So that's been really immensely rewarding and awesome. But my my course probably wouldn't be like that. And this podcast is sort of going to be the bare bones of what a tarot course run by me might be like. Um, I do try to make this podcast applicable and accessible for both newbie tarot readers and people who've been doing it for a decade or more, for people who have no interest in reading cards themselves and just want to get readings or, you know, somewhat frequently to people who do it professionally. So I try to run the gamut in that way. But this podcast episode and the next couple, as I am going to do an episode devoted today to the Major Arcana, and then I'm going to do one episode on each suit. Um, Possibly one on court cards as well, although I'll probably lump those into each suit, because court cards are a bit of a source of contention. I guess I could do a whole episode on court cards. We'll see what happens. Um, Doing these podcast episodes, these are going to be a little bit more beginner-oriented, although experienced readers can still learn quite a lot from hearing how other people read cards. There's cards that I felt very comfortable with for a long time now, and... I still encounter resources that make me see them a new way. I've talked before about not being afraid to look at resources for your cards, no matter your level of expertise, um, because you never know what might strike a chord with you that day. So today's episode is going to be an exploration of the Major Arcana. Um, I thought I should let you know that last week's episode was the first episode that I have recorded since getting a kitten, where my kitten was completely asleep. It was fantastic. This is not the case. I will be playing with my kitten for this episode. Maybe it'll make it better. Who knows? So I'd like to go into a brief overview of the Major Arcana. Um, I I could talk for hours about the Major Arcana. I could do an hour episode per card. I'm not going to do that. Uh, There's a variety of reasons I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that because I don't think it's necessarily useful. I think that there's a million and one resources, probably better than anything I can come up with, out there for you to go in-depth on each card. I also think it's really important that you not take anything that any one resource or person tells you as the definitive answer about a card. Um... You need to come up with your own associations, with your own meanings. Now, does this mean that you should completely disregard the meanings of the cards? No. I was just talking to someone about this. And cardomancy and divination, there's so many different ways to do it. You can get a fantastic divination reading out of a pack of playing cards. But if you're using tarot specifically, you're using tarot because you like the structure and symbolism of tarot. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not still an art to tarot reading. The science of tarot reading comes in knowing and understanding the hierarchy, the system, the structure. But the art of tarot reading is its synthesis and it is intuition. You know, it's knowing when to look at the emperor and see the good fatherly useful parts of the emperor and it's knowing when the emperor represents the barbed iron fist of the patriarchy you know that's that's where your your intuition comes into play there that's not something that any one resource can teach you 
So as important as intuition is when reading the tarot, it's equally important, in my opinion, to have a strong grasp of the actual card meanings. But you can't let those strict meanings get in the way. You know, you get a celebratory card in your fears section, you know, that's not going to make any sense to you unless you can synthesize that. You know, if, if you're doing a Celtic cross reading, I like to separate my Celtic cross hopes and fears into two different cards. The, the, some readers like to do one card. I like to do two. I think it's a lot clearer. And, you know, let's say you, you're, even if you're not doing a Celtic cross, you're drawing a card that's representing your or whoever you're reading for's fear, and you get a joyful card like the Four of Wands. Are you going to fear celebration? No. What you, you know, that's where you need to start really interpreting that. So, you know, my reading for the Four of Wands in a positive spot would probably be, you know, that you're afraid that you're going to be celebrating too soon. Or you're afraid that if you take the time to celebrate, I'm trying to think of synonyms for celebrate and I'm blanking right now. But if you take the time to party and rejoice in what you've done right, you're not going to grow adequately. So, you know, that's where that synthesis comes in. You can't just rely on keywords because then you're going to get really confused. Um, And that's also why it's important to take cards in context, not just of what what your question is, but all the other cards that are around. So... This has gone a little off topic, as I do. You guys seem to like that, though, so we're gonna we're gonna let that go. Um, so today we're we're here to discuss the major arcana. So the major arcana, and I'm gonna be upfront. I'm going by the Rider Waite here, uh, the Rider Waite, and many of its derivatives. It's not it's not the Toth style, although a lot of what I can say can apply to the Toth deck, and. You should be able to apply this to a lot of different systems. Again, it's mostly Rider weight based. So a lot of, I'm going to try to keep my references pretty vague. Um, but, you know, if there's any particular symbolism that I reference and you're looking at your cards and you go, well, you know, I'm using the Terror of the Witches and it doesn't have that on it. Or I'm using the Mystical Cats deck and it looks like this or the card name is this you should take the time to make those own associations. Um, but, you know, you can still use other resources even if your deck is a little more idiosyncratic or if you just see something different in the cards. But again, that's where tarot is a science. That's where it has specific symbolism and meanings. You, know, you really can't, completely change the meaning of one card to mean something completely different. It doesn't mean the opposite. It might be a different take on it. You know, in some decks, death is transformation. Transformation is a big part of death, but in most Rider Waite-based decks, it is still a death card, whether or not it's choosing a friendlier or more positive representation of that. Uh, you will have some tarot decks, 78 card decks divided into 22 major arcana and 56 minor arcana with four court cards. You will have decks like that that do make some changes. Um, you know, the the magician and the fool in the tarot of the mystic cats are cat magic and the cat. That doesn't change the meanings of these cards, even though they're called something different and there's different associations. That's where that comes into play with personal deck preference and personal connotations to tarot. So again, this overview is primarily concerned with Rider Waite, Rider Waite clones, and decks that are heavily derivative of the Rider Waite Smith system. Please you know, feel free to message me if you want to talk about your specific deck. I'm happy to go over that with you a little bit, but, you know, just work around it. Learn, that's why a lot of the time it's recommended that you have a Rider weight deck or a clone to use so that you can better utilize the many, many resources that are out there for Rider weight. 
but that's your call. If you absolutely can't stand the symbolism or you have another deck that you'd prefer to learn with, go for it. Just make sure that you're not trying to apply tarot meanings to other systems. Uh, learning a pack of playing cards, you can use the Minor Arcana for them. Uh, a lot of people do. That's that's something you can consider, but a lot of people don't. So you, know, you can work with that. Uh, don't try to apply tarot card meanings to oracle cards. Um, you know, if it, you have a 22-card oracle deck trying to use the symbolism of tarot, it might be confusing. Unless it's a 22-card deck that is ma- it's considered a majors-only deck. There's a lot of those. A lot of fandom decks are majors-only. Um, I have this vampire tarot. That was my first deck, and I love it. But the minors leave quite a bit to be desired, and... I didn't remember reading this as a teenager when I got the deck, but not that long ago I was reading what we call the little white book that comes with most decks of cards. And the little white book said that the artist of this deck tends to read majors only. So that kind of explains why the majors in that deck are some of my favorite majors of of any of the 20-something decks that I own, while the minors I don't particularly enjoy reading with. That said... Now that I have a stronger grasp on tarot, I can read those minors with a lot more ease, even if there's not a lot for me to go on on that particular card, because I understand the structure of the deck. So, um, you know, I do recommend that you, you know, use an actual tarot deck, 78 cards, 22 majors, 56 minors. And if you're using a majors-only deck, then you can just use this podcast episode and that will be a starting point for you if you haven't used any other starting points. Uh, You might have just heard a little tap on my mic. Sorry about that. So it's been 12 minutes of preamble. It's time for us to dive in. Uh, You can have your deck of cards ready for this if you want. I suggest putting the majors in order to start with. Uh, If you're opening up a brand new deck, they probably will be in order. Although some indie decks don't come in order. So that's something you're going to have to figure out. Uh, That's also something I like to do if I'm trying to sort of reset my deck. Um, When I'm at a busy event, I'll often just make sure all of my cards are facing the same way. But if I'm preparing for a a big event or I feel like it's time to, to reset my deck energetically, as woo as I feel saying that, I will go ahead and put all the cards in order. Um, so we're going to get a start on this. So the 22 major arcana cards are often called the fool's journey. This is because the first card is the fool. That's card number zero, not card number one. Don't forget the numbers only go up to 21, but there's 22 of them because the fool is zero and it ends with the world ends with everything. So it starts with zero which is a circle, and ends with this card that is that usually has a circle represented on it. So that is one immediate cyclical thing about the, the major arcana. It's a cycle. It starts with the fool, it ends with the world, and it begins again with the fool. It's called the fool's journey because the major arcana are mostly people. There's some big symbols, but there's a lot of people that the fool meets on this journey. I didn't come up with the fool's journey concept. This is, this is not, this is not my, my baby. This is a very common thing. Google it. Other people may have different takes on it that you may find useful. I suggest that you find a minimum of three sources to use for your tarot card learning. Um, I'd be very flattered if you count me as one of them. But I also really do recommend BiddyTarot.com. Her free resources are amazing. Although, be careful because she wants to charge you lots of money for webinars and things like that. Don't bother. She has lots of free resources. Use them. I also recommend Benabel Wen. Her website has a ton of information. She also has a course that I think is much more reasonably priced called uh, the Holistic Tarot. It's also a big book. And 
you know, there's there's a lot of other resources out there. There's Janet Boyer. There's um, the tarot, tarot lady. There's a million things. So go with one that you like. Go with one that you feel comfortable with. So we're starting with the Fool. Fool is the very first card. The Fool often represents journeys, the good and the bad. You have to be a little foolish to take a risk, right? Um, but you're not totally unprepared. You know, the Fool is often represented with a little pack and maybe a little companion animal and some decks this is a cat and some it's a dog hence the fool's dog suite of tarot card apps which are great um you know feel free to get a digital deck a digital deck is so fantastic to do this kind of learning with because you can explore you can explore via suits you can explore just the major arcana some of them like the galaxy tarot app you can explore with different symbolism so different elements different colors even it's the Galaxy Tarot app is awesome for that, and that's free. Um, I also like Labyrinthos for learning, uh, although you're using the Golden Thread deck specifically for that. Um, it's a great deck. It's just a little minimalist and a little... There's some associations that are made with it that may not ring true for everyone. I happen to like it. See how you feel about it. It's free, and if you really like it, you can go buy the physical deck, which is really nice. So you're starting with the Fool. And on the way, you can either say that the Fool becomes the Magician or the Fool meets the Magician. Um, the Magician represents gifts and training that you have picked up yourself. These are, these are skills that you have learned. These are resources that you have. Um, you know, oftentimes I think that the fool becomes a magician on the journey and the magician, you know, there's a strong fake it till you make it with the magician. I don't happen to like the magician. A lot of people do. And again, this is where you have to make those idiosyncratic connections. Um, you know, the fool is putting on a show, I'm sorry, the magician is putting on a show in this card, you know, has all the elements around him or her. Um, but what is what is the magician doing with them? Are they putting on a demonstration or are they trying to convince you that they know what they're doing? Or is it both? Then we move on to the high priestess. You may think of the high priestess as someone that the fool meets on this journey. Someone who teaches the fool how to access their intuition. If you're pulling the high priestess in a reading, you really need to consider the subconscious, your instincts, your inner voice. These are things that are intrinsic to you or your querent. These are not things that anyone else can teach you. You have to look within yourself. You know, this is an important card when you're reading tarot because you know, as much as you can learn, from a card that's often paired with the High Priestess, the Hierophant, which is a couple cards down, you know, that external learning is great, but you have to really look within yourself for a significant portion of what you know. From the High Priestess, we move on to the Empress. The Empress is usually represented as pregnant. Um, this is one of those times where I don't tend to read tarot for concrete things. It's very rare that I'll pick up a card and, and say that it has to do with something specifically you should do physically. But, you know, if I'm reading for adults, I do like to remind people that, you know, if, if you don't want kids right now and the Empress comes up, make sure you're taking the most important precautions about that. But something else that the Empress often represents is nurturing and nurturing compassion, love the love that you have for these projects that you're, or, or ideas that you're birthing, you know, this is your life's work. What, what are you putting out there? What are you giving birth to in that way? Again, the Empress can absolutely come up for someone who can't give birth. Um, you know, we're, we give birth to things all the time just because we're not, you know, gestating in our a physical uterus doesn't mean that we're not giving birth. 
So what, what are you nurturing? What are you putting out there? The Empress is paired with the Emperor. Uh, the Emperor is, you know, a father figure. The Emperor is often depicted on a throne, you know, looking like an older man with this air of authority. For me, a lot of the time when I draw the Emperor, the Emperor does not necessarily represent good things. The Emperor represents um, some oppression, some patriarchy at play. But the Emperor can also mean solidity, positive fatherly feelings, you know, while the, the empress is motherly and nurturing, the emperor is helping put things into play with leadership and helping you, helping guide you in that way. You know, paternalism, there's a need for paternalism at some times. You know, paternalistic behavior can be positive or it can be negative. So, you know, that's, that's again, that's where the, art of tarot reading comes in for you to figure that out. From there, we move on to the Hierophant. The Hierophant is often represented as a priest. Um, the Hierophant often comes up when I'm reading for people who are religious, whether for you know Catholicism or, or Christianity, for Jews, even for you know pagan people who are more involved in a community. The Hierophant can also come up for completely secular people and can represent teaching, you know, maybe if you're working on a hobby or you're in school, the Hierophant represents learning from other people, going to tutoring, going to classes. Um, you know, this is where you, if, if you are viewing this card in a spiritual way, this is where spiritual teachings can help you learn um, again, this, this card is the counterpart to two cards before it, or three cards before it, the High Priestess. So this brings up, us up to card five, which is really the sixth card in the Major Arcana. So we're almost a quarter of the way, we're about a quarter of the way through the Major Arcana already. Um, you know, on the Fool's Journey, the Fool meeting the Hierophant is learning things that the Fool may not have been able to learn via the the intrinsic intuition of the high priestess, the motherly guidance of the empress, and the fatherly guidance of the emperor. This is a more uh, structured, ruling, rule-abiding rule learning. So from there, with that foundation that we've gotten of all this this leadership and, and following what other people have to say, this brings us to a very popular and important card, the lovers. Now, the lovers doesn't just represent romance and close relationships, although it represents that. The lovers also represents your higher values. Um, what are you married to? What are you? What makes you feel most connected? to the world? What choices do you need to make to become your best self or figure out what your higher purpose is? Even if you don't believe in destiny or fate, that doesn't mean that you can't choose a higher purpose actively. So that's definitely something to consider with the lovers. From there, we move on to the chariot. You know, we've done a lot of thought about guidance and and choices. Now it's time to start putting things into action. The chariot is all about action, determination, forward momentum. And when the chariot pops up, it's often a card of victory. This is a very, very positive card. It's a good sign if it's coming up in a reading. But it does mean that just like Katamari Damasi teaches us, we need to keep moving forward. Just keep rolling. So you need to you know, figure out both what you want and how you're going to get it done. That moves us into strength. This is where, if we're going by the fool's journey, the fool figures out the best way to exert their will on the world. Now, strength is not necessarily about physical strength or brute strength. Strength usually shows a human person engaged in a physical 
I wouldn't call it a struggle, but I, I wouldn't call it an embrace either. Somewhere in between. Strength and you know shows a human or humanoid figure engaged with a, a wild animal. In my favorite vampire deck, this is a panther. In traditional rider weight, it's usually a lion. And strength is usually about the strength of your will, the strength of your courage, and making sure that you're not overexerting either. You don't want to push your way through. You don't want to brute force your way through here. You want to work and you know, come across strong, but a powerful strong, not too strong. Now, sometimes it's necessary to take a step back with all that action that we've been doing. And that brings us to card number nine, which is, again, the 10th card in the Major Arcana, and that's the Hermit. The Hermit is a card that we can turn to when we need to withdraw a little bit from all this work that we've been doing. Like the High Priestess, the Hermit is in search of a truth that the Hermit can only come to by themselves. Usually the Hermit is depicted with a lamp or something similar guiding them. But, you know, this is where you need to take some of those those lessons that you may have learned and figure out how you can work on that yourself. Not so much involving other people. And once you've withdrawn a little and figured out the steps that you need to take on your own, then it's time to go to the Wheel of Fortune. The Wheel of Fortune, you know, kind of looks a little bit like that, the game show Wheel of Fortune. You know, it's usually depicted as a big wheel. In the Rider Waite, it is depicted as a wheel with astrological, alchemical, and Hebrew symbols on it. Um, and the Wheel of Fortune is has a lot of good things. Wheel of Fortune is generally perceived as a very positive card because it keeps moving and it's time, you know, it's a way for you to learn some lessons. Um, oftentimes when I pick up the Wheel of Fortune in a reading, it's a call to examine the patterns that you find yourself in. If you find yourself repeating similar things, if you find yourself having very similar relationships or having similar struggles in different jobs, you know, examine what's happening. Are you finding yourself in toxic relationships because that's what's comfortable to you, because that's what you've gotten used to? You know, it doesn't mean that you should blame yourself necessarily you know, I'm not, this is not about victim blaming, but it is about figuring out what exactly you can do to change things. And that may well be helping others not repeat the same mistakes. Um, you know, again, I find that tarot works best when you're focused on yourself and not others, but the fool's journey is all about meeting others, right? So, you know, we need to work both with ourselves and how others can affect us. So that's where the Wheel of Fortune comes in. Um, and once you start thinking about those patterns and and how you are affected by them and how you affect them, it's time to start thinking about justice. So you know, justice is often, it, it's a pretty self-explanatory card. Um, you know, it's usually a, a judge uh you know, sometimes it's depicted as, as, you know, justice is blind with the blindfold and the scales. And with justice, you need to consider all the options, both the things that you want and the things you don't want, the things that are fair and the things that are not fair. And you need to make sure that you're being fair, not just to yourself, but to others and not just for yourself, but for others. You need to make sure that when you're making choices, you're considering how they'll affect you and how they'll affect other people. Don't be overly concerned with how your actions are affecting others, but don't only think of yourself. Really weigh things out. This is a, a reminder to logic through instead of necessarily going by your emotions. Then that brings us to the hanged man, which is card number 12, 
or the 13th card of the Major Arcana, because remember, the Fool is zero. Don't get tripped up by these numbers. So the Hanged Man is usually depicted as a person upside down, hanging by their foot, not hanging from their neck by a noose. Now there's questions. How did the Hanged Man get here? Can the Hanged Man undo their, bo- their bounds or their binds? Um, interestingly enough, the Hanged Man is often a card about sacrifice. What do you need to do to get started? Um, you can, one thing I like to think about with the hanged man is, you know, you're probably not hanging upside down in limbo by your own volition. It's not exactly where you wanted to be, but while you're there, take the time and the perspective that you've gained to look at things differently and figure out what you should, should do next, what you can do next. Um, and after you reach this, this sort of, you know, catch-22 situation of the hanged man, that brings us to the death card. Now, the death card, card number 13, is very misunderstood, both in terms of people who are too scared of it and in people who try to sugarcoat it too much. Being scared of death is natural for sure, but you have to face it at some point. We all do. We all encounter death. We all have to prepare for our own and for the deaths of loved ones. We also need to understand that death is often change. The ending of one relationship leads into another relationship. You know, there's things that won't have happened if something else didn't end. You didn't, you know, you became an adult when the child in you was no longer. Um, Obviously, that's kind of a polarizing statement. You know, people have different opinions on that. But you know what I'm saying. Um, the death is about things that pass. You know, as, as someone I know is fond of saying, this too shall pass. And, you know, this is about when, when one thing ends, that leaves room for something else to begin. So you need to you know, remember that death is all about transformation in that sense. But... It's still about something ending, so it's okay to learn how to mourn something if you need to, but don't don't get stuck there. You have to move forward. That brings us to another really difficult to comprehend card, which is temperance. Now, one thing that I want to invite you to do here, when you're going over the major arcana, I want you to, if you're having trouble with a card, look at the card immediately before that card and the card immediately after that card. Those two cards can provide you a lot of context about a card. For instance, Temperance, this beautiful angel, is in between death and the devil. Um, you know, and those are those are two big extremes right there, the, the big change of death and the, the shackles of the devil. So temperance, if you're looking for some context there, is all about finding a balance. And I like to think of temperance as a cruise control card. Um, if you're getting temperance as a block or something that you need to work on, you know, you need to focus on not going to extremes. You really need to find some centering, meditate on things a bit. If you find that you're not putting enough effort into things, work harder. If you're overexerting yourself, take a step back. But you really need to practice moderation. And practice moderation and moderation. You know, you, you can have too much temperance. Absolutely. So you know, when you see temperance, think, think about balance, but not necessarily in the fair, clear-cut way that justice provides balance. You need to be thinking about balance in a more holistic holistic sense. So, you know, work on that. Um, and then we come to the devil. Again, the devil can be a very misunderstood card. Um, it's a very scary looking card. It's a very traditional representation of this horned devil. Um, and these two, and you know, in, in Rider Weight decks, in decks that draw heavily from the Rider Weight. You're going to have a chained man and a chained woman, often naked, chained around their necks. 
Um, they've even got tails in the traditional Rider Waite. And the devil represents feeling helpless, trapped, chained. The devil represents all of those things in your life that you struggle with and you feel obligated to be stuck to. This can be a toxic family situation. Um, Often when I draw the devil, it means that someone, the person getting the reading is struggling with a physical addiction, a drug addiction oftentimes. Um, You know, it can often mean mental illness, although mental illness is generally better represented by the swords cards for me when I do readings. But again, that's something that I've come up with after a decade plus of reading. Um, When the devil comes up, it's really time for you to examine what you feel stuck to and why. These may not be things that you can change exactly. Um, again, this is something that, that was I came, I've been thinking about a lot lately. You can identify external forces that you cannot change while still figuring out how to adapt yourselves to them. You know, you may not be able to change the toxic actions of a family member that you can't cut off yet, but you can start figuring out how that person makes you feel and what you can do to work around that. It may not be perfect, but it's a start. And tarot is about recognizing things that make you feel, especially the way that I read tarot. You know, it's anti-fragility. It's taking the things that break you and coming back stronger from them. So figure out what what is the devil in your life and how are you going to meet the devil head on and tell the devil, not today. Now, the devil, those feelings of powerlessness lead us into the tower. Now, the tower is really the uh, the difficult card in the Major Arcana. Not so much death, but the tower. The tower is usually depicted as a big structure. In a lot of decks, it's a tree. Um, in a lot of decks, it's a broken, crumbling tower being struck by lightning or a big fire. And... The tower is chaos, it's destruction, and sometimes we need that. There's always going to be catastrophe in our lives, and we just need to figure out how to work with it. Um, you know, you need to accept that it's going to happen. You can't run from that destruction forever, and you also can't take residence in the tower. You might look at it and go, oh, there's still so much of that building. That's okay. It's not going to come for me yet. No, it's time for you to step away from it and get away from it. But the good thing about the tower, much like some of the other really negative cards in the deck, like the Ten of Swords, is that once this thing has happened, once once the catastrophe has happened, you can come to terms with it and you sometimes need that destruction to happen. You need to hit rock bottom in order to get back up. You know, it's a cliche for a reason because there's there's a kernel of truth in there. So after the tower, we come to the star. Now, something I think that's important to recognize there is that the tower is this big structure dominating the sky. And the star shows a sky that is empty of everything but stars. And usually it has a figure underneath gathering, gathering water, basking in the glow of this big guiding star. It's a reminder that there will always be a light to guide you after this catastrophe and destruction, if you only know how to look for it. So try to have some faith Try to create your your star if you need to, you know, and just look look for it. Look for where it may be. Um, after the star and, you know, you have this moment of clarity, right? But then you have another very misunderstood card, which is the moon. You have this burst of clarity, but you still need to deal with your subconscious. A lot of traditional decks have... A sea creature in the Rider Waite, it's a lobster coming up from from the water towards the moon. And that is a note 
it's a ping to address these subconscious things. Let them come to light. Drag them out into the light if you have to in order to address them full on. You know, this, this is where Carl Jung, who was a big you know, proponent of tarot for parapsychology and shadow work, you know, this is all about addressing that shadow. And it's about listening to your subconscious. The moon can be a bit of a confusing card because, you know, the moon is partially obscured. There's clouds. There's a lot happening. You know, there's, there's dogs howling or wolves howling. Um, but, you know, try to, try to address these things and you're going to have more clarity than you had before, even if things seem a little confusing at first. Take that confusion as a, a note to pay attention. Paired with the moon comes the sun. And the sun is one of those really lovely, beautiful cards. Um, a lot of tarot jewelry is based on the sun because it's not threatening and it has this cute little cherub on it and this big, beautiful sun and this white pony. You know, it's really nice. Can you tell that I don't really like the sun? I think I think it's a little bit on the nose and that's okay. Again, that's how I read. Um, one thing that often happens is you might draw the sun for a negative spot. And when that happens, you know, you can consider that as... Even the most positive things are going to have a downside. But just remember that, you know, just like clouds over the sun, this is transient. This will pass. So when the sun comes up, this is a really positive symbol. If you're doing a yes or no reading, you know, tarot is not fantastic for yes or no, but sometimes you want to do that. You want to draw a card for clarity and say yes, no. The sun is a very much a yes card. This is a positive card. This is a things are going right card. And if you get the sun for downsides, that's a sign that you're scared of when things go right and you start to freeze up when things are going well for you. Or maybe you have a different spin on that. Again, that's how you should be reading. That's how you can create your your own style. So are you ready? We only have two more cards. I know, right? So with the sun comes judgment. Judgment is another one of those cards that people really trip up over. Partly because judgment is one of the more, you know, Abrahamic Christian influenced cards in traditionally based decks. Um, judgment in a traditional deck usually shows an angel calling up the dead out of their graves on judgment day, where these righteous souls are kind of being raptured away to heaven. And this is where all these things that you've done, all the things that the fool has done on this journey have reached this point where it's time for you to consider where your actions are bringing you. But the thing is that judgment is the beginning of it. You still have time to make these changes in your life. This is where it's time for you to forgive yourself for things that you've done wrong, for missteps you've taken. We've all taken them. And it's time for you to commit to being your best self and doing the best that you can. So when you see judgment, remember, it's time for you to rise up and know better and do better. It's not a card that's harshly judging you for things that you've done wrong. But you do need to remember that you need to do better in order to be judged well. So consider that when judgment comes up, you know, Again, remember that this card, which is kind of weird, weird looking, and you know, you're worried about the name of it, it's sandwiched between the sun and the world, which are two extremely positive cards. So, you know, you can think of judgment as being part of temperance, whereas, you know, temperance is an invitation to look at your choices and what you need to be doing to, you know, be more centered and more in control. Judgment is looking at your choices and figuring out what you need to do to be doing good. And that brings us to our last card, which is the world. This is completion and fulfillment. When you get this card, it's a sign that you need to see things through to the end. It's also a sign that it's time for you to move on from your last big project and go on to the next thing. You need to go on to the next phase not get caught up in thinking that you're still the fool. This is when you discard your imposter syndrome and own it. 
need to take the time to appreciate everything you've done, everything you've seen, celebrate it, move forward. And that's all the cards. So you have all these and you have all these keywords and these associations. Now it's time for you to go through and start making some more associations. Remember how I told you that I associate judgment with temperance? That's because there's angels and there's all these clouds on them. Go through the cards. Whatever deck you have, this works with any deck. Go through your major arcana. Pick out cards that have similar symbolism. Do they have clouds on them? Do they have people on them? Do they have plants? Do they have animals? Does this seem like a positive card to you? Does this seem like a negative card to you? You know, all of these cards have both positive and negative. But, you know, you can tell in your deck what is a positive card and what is a negative card. And there's some cards that are more neutral. You know, you have the Emperor, which I tend to view as a negative card. We have the Magician, which can, you know, most people view as a very positive card, but which I often see a, a downside in. Um, you may not like the Empress. You may feel that, you know, as my husband likes to say, yes, mother, I mean, mother. Um, you, you may feel that the Empress is a bit of a smothering presence. This is where you need to go through your, your cards and figure out the associations that you have with them because that's what's going to come up when you're reading. If you insist on ignoring your gut feelings about cards, particularly if you're reading with a deck that's not the standard Rider weight, because a lot of those decks can be very idiosyncratic and, and can have very specific connotations. If you ignore how you feel about cards and try to just read with keywords, your readings are going to fall flat. You're going to feel like there's something missing because you're not connecting to them. Remember that a lot of the point of this is to connect to all this symbolism. So, you know, again, one exercise I really like is taking a card and looking at the card immediately before it and immediately after it to get some more context. Um, another exercise that you might have fun with is reading backwards. You know, we did the Fool's Journey from the Fool starting out, meeting all these people, learning all these lessons, ending at completion, going backwards. Take, you know, you're, you're at this, this point where you're reflecting. You know, in nursing process, we would call this the evaluation. You look back at, at what you identified in the beginning and how your actions have affected things. So work backwards from there and see what you get. You know, start the fool's journey with the world and, you know, look at how the sun leads into the moon. You know, day turns into night. Look at how you get guidance from the star and then all of a sudden that guidance brought you to a place of catastrophe because you misread it or you relied too much on something. These are exercises that you can play around with. And if I ever do get around to making a formal beginner's course, those are exercises that I'll include. Um, but, you know, play with your major arcana. And if it helps you feel more confident, you know, I read with majors, pretty much majors only for many years. I dabble in the minor arcana. I wouldn't feel comfortable with them because I, you know, didn't like the deck I was using and I really hadn't found a resource yet that made me feel comfortable. I was going off of keywords and those keywords weren't really helping me. I didn't understand the structure of tarot yet. I didn't understand the structure of each suit and its particular message. So I read with majors only, and you know what? I had great readings with them. I really did. I helped myself. I helped other people. It went great. So don't be afraid to just read with your majors for a while. If that makes you feel better, if that gets you using your cards, go ahead and do it. And don't get caught up in the fact that when you're doing a reading with a full deck, sometimes the majors can be things to pay more attention to because they're these big life themes. If you're just using majors... Screw it. Use the majors to ask what you're going to have for lunch today. You know, should I go to the Chinese place? The tower might mean that you're not going to get the order that you want. Should I go get Italian food? The death card might mean it's time to try something new instead of the same old thing you've always tried. You know, you can do that. Or you can ask about the big things. So, I think that pretty much concludes my overview of the Major Arcana and ideas of how to get used to reading them. 
Um, you know, if you have any exercises that you really like, feel free to email me at antifragiletarot at gmail.com. If you want to start getting readings, which can be a really useful way for you to figure out how to read tarot by learning how other people read, don't hesitate. Order a reading from me at my Etsy. I always have, which is Antifragile Tarot, I always have, you know, discount readings. Um, and also make sure that if you're, you know, enjoying this podcast and you want to help it be more frequent and possibly have more episodes per month, um, I would really appreciate if you consider becoming a patron at my Patreon. You can find me there at Antifragile Tarot. And, you know, consider even a dollar donation really helps because a basic Libsyn account is five bucks a month and that only goes so far. I'd really like to go back up to my $15 a month account. So, um, you know, I can, if you could consider a donation there, that would be great. Um, and again, just feel free to email me with questions, comments, concerns at antifragiletarot at gmail.com and we'll chat. So I hope this was useful for you. And I hope that you have a witchy and or wonderful week. And I will see you on the next episode with a podcast about the suit of wands. And I'm starting with wands because I think that the wands are often a rather underrepresented and misunderstood suit. You know, the cups are emotions and they're very popular and swords are scary, but at least they're, they're kind of self-explanatory and pentacles you know it's earth and it's money we can all talk about money but wands i feel like a lot of people stumble on wands so i'm going to start with that let's get some of the difficult stuff out of the way first so take care have a witchy and or wonderful week and i will talk to you later bye